Hi, welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I absolutely love young moms, and it's my privilege to give you tips and tools to make your journey easier. Today's topic is getting it all done. Like not just homeschooling, but cleaning the house and reading your Bible. You know, how do you get it all done when you've got a busy, busy household? So thanks so much for joining us today. You can access our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you choose to do that, our blog, our Facebook page. Please sign up and then you'll get notifications when we post. Okay, getting it all done. As most of you know, I have 14 kids. Um, I have eight girls and six boys and I've homeschooled them all from up through high school. So my house has been very, very busy. So I'm gonna share with you some of the tips that have helped me survive and manage accomplishing that kind of a task with that many kids. First of all, you've gotta prioritize. You've gotta prioritize several things. First of all, your schedule. You have to streamline your schedule. And the larger your family is, the less time you'll have for outside pursuits. So it's hard, you know, you need to learn to choose only the most important. There's so many good things that we could involve ourselves in, good things that we could do, but it's not the best use of our time when we've got a family depending on us 24 seven. So learn to say no to a lot of things. I had a dear friend who wanted me to go to ladies Bible study Tuesday mornings for years. Okay, let me just say I homeschooled 14 kids for 37 years I was homeschooling. So for 37 years, I had to say no to her about the ladies' Bible study because that cut into my time when I was teaching my kids. It's something I just couldn't do. It's a great thing. I'm very supportive of it. You know, I think it's great for women to be able to go to that, that our church offers that, but it's just something I could not do. A good thing that did not fit in my schedule. So you've got to learn to choose only the things that pay eternal benefits. And I had to constantly evaluate how my time is being spent. Like every year, you know, it's the beginning of a new year right now. This is 2022 and we need to evaluate what are we doing? What have we been doing that we could maybe cut out? What haven't we been getting done that we need to incorporate? And it's just a constant evaluation. It was for me through the years to see what changes that I needed to make. Um, also, like I would keep my kids in church to train them how to pay attention and sit still. So nursery is something that I could not do for a lot of years. So you, you've just, you've got to balance your responsibilities with all those good things out there, things that would benefit you, things that you could do to benefit others and choose only what works best for your family at this season in your life. Not only streamlining your schedule, you need to streamline your child's schedule. And oh boy, beware of too many activities. There's so many good things you could involve your kids in. There's softball, swimming, gymnastics, music, karate. There's so many choices that you could do. And all those activities are good. You know, none of them are bad, but they become bad when they compete with the best use of your child's time. And you need to guard your child's time. Children don't have the capacity to decide, is this beneficial? Can I fit this into my schedule? Can I make this work? 
That's why they've got parents. And you need to evaluate for each individual child each year, is this working? In our family, we had a lot of kids that were very musically talented. So they would do piano. And we had the blessing of having a next door neighbor who, when we first moved into this house, offered to teach our kids piano. At the time, we had five children. She never realized we would have 14, but she was just a blessed lady. She ended up teaching all of our kids piano, and all they had to do is walk next door for their lesson. Now, there was a time when some of our kids outgrew, like they needed more instruction than she could give them. So we did take the time to take them to piano lessons. But that's something you've got to evaluate. Find the things that really fit your kids. And if it's something that's beneficial to them that you can fit in your schedule and still get your priorities done, then sure, let them do that. You know, maybe let them choose one thing, but still, you know, you've got to be home to homeschool adequately. You can't be mom's taxi. I've seen those little signs, mom's taxi, where you're running to this, running to that, running to this, running to that. It breaks up your day so much and, you know, you're responsible to, to be at those commitments that you take on. So you need to evaluate, is this something my kids need? It's a good thing. It might be fun. It might benefit them. But is it the best use of their time? And that's something you as parents really need to evaluate. Spiritual pursuits have to be the top priority. And, you know, when you're spending time transporting your kids to all those activities, you're creating a value system for them. You know, if mom and dad take this much time for basketball or whatever it is, it must be really important. So our goal, we need to remember this, is not to build well-rounded children, but spiritually prepared servants of God. And there is a difference. You know, you, I think the world tries to build well-rounded people, give them so many experiences and involve them in so many activities so that they've got the benefit of, of all these things. But we need to remember spiritually, we need to teach our kids to love and serve the Lord. And that's got to be top priority. Make sure you schedule time for your kids to learn scripture. You know, that's like the most important thing that they can do. We made use of Bible CDs and we offer a lot of those on our website. It's actually one of the best things we did for our kids. I've told you about this before. There's another podcast about it. But my husband recorded scripture, he explained difficult words, and he gave example stories to help the kids understand what was being talked about in the book of Proverbs, later in Psalms, and Matthew, and the book of John, and um, portions of the Old Testament. We just recorded different parts of scripture for our kids to listen to at bedtime. And we would pop those CDs in, and the kids would learn so much scripture without even trying. It's one of the easiest and best things that we did. And if that doesn't work for you, then schedule another time for your kids to learn scripture. But this, this was a way the kids didn't even realize that they were learning. It just kind of happened because they were on at bedtime and they were listening as they went to sleep. As kind of a side benefit, our kids had very few nightmares because the last thing they were hearing before they went to bed at night was God's word. So it really helped to build a biblical frame of reference in our children just by hearing the word again and again and again, night after night after night after night. We also played them at nap time when the kids were little. <clears throat> we also, as our kids got older, I wanted studies that would help our kids take scripture 
and have scripture reveal the sin in their own heart and help them make wise decisions to choose the right over the wrong. And I didn't really find studies like that. I found studies that just taught information and studies that had crossword puzzles and stuff like that. But I wanted studies that would address the needs in my children's heart, the sins that they were struggling with, help them see what God's word said about that and give them wisdom from God's word as to choosing the right thing. And I won't say a whole lot about that. I've talked about it before, but we have got Bible studies from preschool through high school. They're all age graded that will help your kids to do just that, to take scripture, practically apply it to the sin that's going on in their life. And it will guide them through the word in making wise decisions for life. So we did that, that was scheduled into their day. That was their Bible time. That was a part of our school day, if you will, was to do those studies, to learn the word. So they had the, the CDs that were played at nap time and bedtime. They had the studies to actually study God's word. And you can direct it, like if your kids are struggling with arguing, you can do the section on arguing and growing in wisdom and have the kids learn what the struggle is. And th that's kind of how we did it through the years. If our kids were struggling with a certain sin, that's what we would have them memorize. And that's what we would have them study about. Because you can't just, your kids, you can't and your kids can't just decide, you know what, this is wrong, I'm going to stop doing it. You've got to get wisdom from God's word and see what God's word says about it. So that's what we would do. We would see the sins and the struggles that our kids were having and go to the word and then make up short answer questions for our kids to answer so that they would see what was going on in their own heart, that they were then able to make a wise decision to put off the wrong and put on the good. Not that they always did that, but if we hadn't led them in a practical study of the word, it never would have occurred to them to do that. You can't just breeze through life without the word. The word's got to be a central focus. And this is one of the things to realize when you're determining, should I involve them in Little League or basketball or swimming or whatever? Do I, have I got them properly grounded in the word? Have I got a plan in place so that they are in the word every day? They are studying, they are memorizing, they are reading the word. That has got to be a priority. Once that's going and flowing and you've got it going right, then you can evaluate, all right, do we have time to add piano? Do we have time to add karate or whatever? But you've got to make the word the priority. Got to be. Then streamline your children's curriculum. Learn to master the books. Don't let them master you. And this is something that I had to learn. When I started out, I did everything that was in the books. Like they did every question, they did every um, read every single page in every single book because I thought if I don't do that I'm going to mess them up and then I started to realize you know what I am kind of making the books a god instead of uh, instead of asking God what my child needs and I started to realize just because something is in the book don't assume your child must do it you as the parent need to evaluate what each individual child needs I also found through the years, I had 14 kids, they were all very different. What worked for one did not work for some of the others. The kids are individual and the way that they learn is different. 
So you can't just say, all right, I've chosen these books for curriculum and all my kids are gonna do them because that doesn't work for every child. You've gotta evaluate what's right for them. We would do school academics in two and a half to three hours a day. And basically the way I did that, I would eliminate busy work. And there's so much busy work in any curriculum. For instance, um, if you're teaching them math, I would circle about 10 math problems a day. And if they can understand that and get it right, we'd move on the next day. If you have them do 30 long division problems, you're gonna burn them out. I mean, how would you like it if I told you you gotta do these 30 long division problems? So every textbook has way too many problems in it. So I would just circle the amount that I wanted them to do that day. And you know what I found out? More is not better. Less was better because my kids saw an end to it. If I apply myself and I can learn what I need to learn to do these 10 problems, I'm done with math for today and I can move on to something else. I would do that with everything, even like their language books. I would have them do every other grammar sentence so that they weren't doing 50 sentences, they were doing 25. You know, your goal is to have your kids learn the principle. So you're not cutting out any of the information. You're just cutting down on the practice, the busy work of it. And if, if it's something where you feel like your kids really do need more practice, then we would just stay on that longer. You know, they do their 10 problems for five days until they really learned it and got a handle on it. So you're not cutting out anything. You're not cutting out information. You're cutting down on the amount that they do. And it really motivated my kids. You know, they knew that they would be done with school in two and a half or three hours a day. And then they'd have time to do their own individual pursuits, whether it was building bookcases or reading about something that really interested them um, or a project that they were working on. Our kids did a lot of projects and experiments and. You know, it gives time for them to become the person God made them to be because they've got some free time in their schedule to explore other things. So we've cut down on the amount that you have little children write. I found in the books that I used when my kids were little, they would have them write, oh, I don't know, like 20 sentences to put a, a capital letter at the beginning and a period at the end. And I thought, wow, you know, it took them forever to write all that stuff. So I would just have them write a capital letter and stick a period at the end. You know, what you're trying to teach them is the capitalization and the punctuation. You don't want to wear them out with writing volumes of stuff that they're just going to throw away when they're done with it. And it's, it's frustrating. You know, sometimes like in history or science, There'll be questions for the kids to answer. I often would let them answer them orally instead of writing out sentences to answer every question for a little child, especially. It just, they can think so much faster than they can talk and they can talk so much faster than they can write. So to require them to write everything out gets really boring and humdrum and demotivates them. Now I would have my kids write a small amount every day of something that mattered so that they could learn to write neatly and require them to do it right so they're learning to have good penmanship, but make it a small amount. And I found that you know if you gave them too much to write, too much busy work, they wouldn't care if it looked good, they would just scribble it, get it done, hurry and be done with it. Where if you give them a small amount for something that matters, they want to do it right.
for instance, have them write a letter to the editor. Our kids did a lot of that about an important issue. Or have them write a letter to grandma or an old person at church or a shut-in or a neighbor. Or for my girls, sometimes I would have them write recipes on recipe cards for use later in life. And they wanted those to look good. They wanted it to be good penmanship. It's something they cared about. Um, another idea is having them write family history, you know, study family history and, and record it. And they want that to look neat. That's something they care about. So find something that each child cares about. And when you're giving them some writing assignments, have them do something that really, really matters. And that's eliminating the busy work. One um, handwriting program that I loved was presidential handwriting. Presidential handwriting, it was called. And it had quotes from the different presidents. And kind of as a side benefit, we found the presidents that we hadn't learned much about, that I hadn't learned much about in public school, were the Christians. For instance, we found, about, uh, we found this quote by James Garfield. And the kids and I thought, you know what? It sounds like he was a Christian from that quote. So we got a biography about him, and we read it together. And we found out that he, as a young boy, his mom, his family were Christians. He kind of balked against it. He ran away from home to work on a riverboat. And one night, he fell off the boat. He could not swim, and he was drowning. All the other guys were asleep. And he reached out. He caught hold of a rope that wasn't supposed to be there, and he got himself back up on the ship. And he looked, and it was kind of weirdly tied on there. It, was just, it wasn't supposed to be in that place. And he came to the conclusion that God had preserved him. He left the riverboat. He went home. When he walked in, he found his mom on her knees praying for his salvation. And then he didn't become a Christian right then, but he did a few months later. And when he was president, he would hold evangelistic meetings at the White House. It was so cool. So the ones, you know, it kind of opened our eyes. Eisenhower is another one. We got a book about him. So if the kids were writing a quote that we thought, wow, this guy sounds like he was a Christian. Let's get a book and read about him. And that's kind of how we handled the handwriting. You know, it was very um, eye-opening because the ones that I knew nothing about were the ones that I should know something about, the ones that were Christians. Um, probably one of the most important things you can do is saturate your home with learning materials. You know, I loved to find puzzles, United States puzzles, geography sheets, geography balls, things that interested your kids, things they played with, things that they used, um, decor in their bedrooms, whatever, to teach them. And they don't know that they are learning, they're just doing it for fun. For instance, one of my sons, every night before he went to bed, he loved countries. So I got him a big map of countries. We hung it on his wall, and every night before he went to bed, he wanted me to come in and choose four or five countries, and he'd see how fast he could locate them. And, you know, he, he wasn't, if I had sat down and said, okay, learn all these countries, it would have been kind of boring and humdrum, but he did it for fun. It was a game. He liked to um, increase his time or decrease his time in finding the countries. So, you know, the more that you can just saturate your home with learning materials, the more your kids will learn just as kind of a byproduct of living in your home. Get good books. One of my kids was very interested in politics, so we got 
human events publication that told how all the different senators and congressmen voted on all the different issues. And he just poured over those things. Um, get good biographies. There's a website called abebooks.com. And you've probably heard my husband is Uncle Rick, and he records these great old books. We do a lot of biographies. We do books that were written in the 1800s. There's great books you can find out there for your kids to read. Get some of them. You can search by copyright date so you can find things that were written in the early 1900s, the 18, 1800s, and just bring them into your home. You know, I would do what I call plant a book. I'd stick a book on the end of my kid's bed or on the coffee table. And, you know, they'd be curious. They'd pick it up and look at it. Just fill your home with learning materials. Make your home a place where learning just happens as a byproduct. Fill your home with good uh, materials, craft materials. The kids loved doing popsicle stick creations and beadwork for the girls. You know, just whatever they're interested in. Fill your home with supplies so that when they've got free time, they're doing something that interests them, but they're learning at the same time. Remove counterproductive influences. And, you know, we found, we did not raise our kids with a TV because we found that TV kind of stifled their creativity. So if you've got a TV, limit it. You know, now it's more screen time that you've got to be careful about. We didn't really have that. You know, there weren't, um, there wasn't the internet when I was raising my older kids. But there's lots of distractions and you've got to put some limits on it. Don't just allow your kids free reign to look up whatever they want whenever. You've got to put some controls on that and limit their screen time. Now you can make good use of it because there's a lot of really good stuff and learning things out there for them to learn. So make good use of it, but you need to manage it. That's the key. You need to manage it. You need to set some limits on it. You need to choose what they're looking at and what they're doing. Screen their reading materials. We used to go to the library, and there's no way you can read all the books before your kids read them. So we would play this little game, and I would tell my kids, if you read anything in a book that you find is not true to Scripture, come and tell me, and we'll talk about it. And it was like a game to them. They would come, Mom, I found something in this book. So what you're doing, you're teaching your kids to be discerning readers. We should not just believe everything that we read in a book. We should run it through our context of scripture and see if it's biblical. And we do want to teach our kids to be discerning readers. And that's just a little game that we played. Our kids love to do that. <clears throat> then organize your home. You don't have to start out organized. I didn't. I grew in organizational skills as it demanded it. Organize your living space. You know, I would, I would do a project and then I'd think, why didn't I think of that before? For instance, um, I remember one day I came home and Rick asked how the day went and I said, oh, I don't know, it was just frustrating. So he had me write a frustration list. He said, okay, tomorrow just write down everything that frustrates you and we'll talk about it when I get home. And I found that some of the things I was frustrated about was physical needs. I had 14 kids, maybe not at the time, I probably had eight kids at the time. And if you have eight kids who have a pair of church shoes, a pair of boots, a pair of rain boots, a pair of sandals, a pair of play shoes, um, a pair of good sneakers, what do you do with all those shoes? You know, we only had a normal house with normal sized closets and we were always losing shoes. 
and shoes were everywhere. So Rick built something that was very appropriate for our needs, which most people wouldn't need. He built this huge shoe shelf that we put in the entryway and it contained 46 spaces for 46 pairs of shoes. And I would label them, you know, this is Rick's play shoes, whatever. When they were done with their shoes, they put them in this entryway. And that eliminated a lot of problems, just that one simple little thing. There were other things like character needs. We had this one child who would walk in and scream, Mom, hey, Mom, where are you? They were coming to tell me something. It might wake the baby, might make the dog bark. It just caused confusion. Now, this son was a very obedient son. He wasn't trying to cause conflict, but he didn't realize that he should go about finding mom in a different way than opening the door and screaming. So we made this list and it was called the irritation list and it showed him, you know, this is what you're doing. You're walking in screaming, hey mom. Instead, let all things be done decently and in order. We had him learn that verse. And then we said, what you need to do instead is come find mom and mom will be glad to attend to your need and answer your question and listen to you. And it was just a simple thing. What I found was there wasn't a hundred things that were going wrong every day. It was a few things that were happening over and over and over. So we would come up with a plan and a project to address that need. And it just made my life so much easier. You know, it, it might be one child was teasing another and he would do that multiple times per day. Well, I needed to deal with his teasing. So I would have him learn verses about that. I would come up with projects for him to address that teasing and to, to fulfill his desire to tease in a different way. Anyway, you've got to identify what the problem is. Is it a character need in the child? Is it a character need in me? Is it some physical thing that I need in my house to be more orderly? Is it removing clutter? You know, just what is the problem here? And it really, really helped to identify it. As much as possible, create a place for everything to make it easy for your kids to be orderly. If you've got kids that can't read, you can put a picture on a box. This is where the matchboxes go. And then a picture on the shelf where the matchboxes go to make it easier for them to put things away. Another thing I did, I have treasure boxes that I would put under the bed, those big under the bed boxes. And I would tell them anything that you want to keep you can put in this treasure box. When it gets full, you need to clean it out and empty it out. Now you can put anything in there as, unless it's alive. You know, you can't put a toad in there or something like that. But you know, they've all got special papers, things that they did, maybe a fun rock they found, and they could put those things in that treasure box. When it got full, they had to clean it out. So start somewhere. We had another daughter who was very creative. She loved writing stories and her papers were all over the house. So I bought her a file cabinet, a simple little answer to that. And she thought it was so much fun. She'd put all her stories in folders and you know she could open her file cabinet and see all the stories she'd written. So just make a priority list of things that need to be done to make it easier for you. Okay, I think maybe we will break here and continue this next week. We'll pick up with organization. Organize your home. The next thing will be organize yourself. And we will talk about that next week. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week.